Madrid, for Amy, um, for all who have shared their stories today, and for each one of you for being here. I'm Hannah. I'm the pastor here at the Wicker Park site of Urban Village Church. We're a church that lives in five places. Um, and before we get started on the sermon, I'd like actually to invite you into a word of prayer. Um, this Sunday is the first Sunday that our pastor, Chris Kuhn, is at um, a potential new site that we are dating out in River Forest, kind of figuring out if that's going to work out for us and for them. Um, and so that's Pastor Chris's first Sunday at River Forest. And so that means that it's Pastor Chan's first Sunday at our South Loop site, Chan Choi. And so I wanted to pray for both of those churches, both of those congregations, and for both of those pastors, um, because I believe that this is such a beautiful time for learning and change and growth and vision for Urban Village. And when people go through change, we want to pray for them. All right, let us pray together. God, you are a mighty God, a God of power and strength and of many things and people and places. We are so blessed, O oh God, to get to know more of your people and more of your places. We know, O oh God, that you have anointed Pastor Chris and Pastor Chan in their ministries, that you have given River Forest and South Loop particular missions in your Holy Spirit to go out and to be themselves and by being who you have made them to be to transform the world. We ask, O oh God, that for all those this morning who are learning one another anew in church, that they would do what we hope we would all do when we learn one another anew in church. Be generous of spirit, be open in listening hearts, and learn about how we can be something greater together bolstered by you, instructed by your powers, and knowing that there is more ahead for your intentions for Urban Village Church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just in case you were worried, uh, I did not put two of the same story by accident. <laughs> we're, we're looking through it on purpose today. These two different versions that we just read of the same story of a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years and is healed by Jesus. There's actually a third version of this story. We read the Luke and then the Mark. Matthew has the same story, um, as is often true. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, share a lot of the same stories of miracles, of healings, of other incidents in Jesus's life over and over again, because they're working from the same material. Sometimes even John, the spiritual iconoclast, the poet who likes to be different, even John tells the same story as the other three. Um, and for some people, this seems like a problem with the Bible. It's something that makes them nervous. Why are we telling the same story in a couple of different ways? Why wasn't there just one true version? As it says the bleeding woman shares with Jesus, right? One whole truth that could be put one distinct way makes them nervous. Is the Bible true? Is what Jesus did real? Is healing a thing? But I think um, the Bible is wise enough. God is big enough. We can be faithful enough to understand that this multiplicity of stories is not a barrier to be overcome. It's not a logic problem to solve. <laughs> it's a gift of the scriptures that actually tells us something critical something essential, something undeniable about who Jesus is to each one of us 
and who God is as God has made us and has made all of creation. So I want to take a day where we pay attention to these differences, where we talk about them and where they might come from, and consider together what that might mean about the God who made both Mark and Luke, the God who made both the bleeding woman and the people who did not believe her, the disciples who spoke up and the disciples who didn't, and each one of us here in this faith community today. So let's take a look. We're, let's go to the first slide of Mark. We're going to read through that Mark together, and I'm just going to point out some of the subtle differences that you may or may not have noticed. So, I, uh, and I'm, I have Mark up on the screen because in general, for this story, Luke is the one who takes out details. Luke's is a little simpler, it's a little shorter. He's, um, Mark was written first. Mark is the first gospel, it's the oldest one. And with this particular story, Luke is being like a pretty stringent editor, right? He's like, we don't need that, we don't need that, we don't need that. Get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. But I think the things he chooses to edit out are interesting um, about who he might have been and what God might have been doing in his life. So the first thing we notice, so Mark says, this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and this is, bleeding for 12 years sounds awful, no matter who you are and what is going on, right? You're sick, you're in pain. What's an added level of pain for this woman um, is that menstrual bleeding in her time, in her society, is considered particularly unclean or offensive. And so she isn't just sick and in pain, she's experiencing rejection from her people over it, right? It comes with all of these other things. Um, and Mark offers a vivid description of what that feels like. He says she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had. She had, this is familiar to many of us Americans, right? She has spent all of her money on medical care. She has spent all of her money on medical care. And uh, she was no better, but rather grew worse. The care she got made things worse. Now, what does Luke say? Luke says, though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. He leaves out this part about getting worse. Um, and there's a lot of commentators throughout time. So from some other clues in Luke and the other book of the scriptures that Luke wrote, Acts, people are pretty sure that Luke was a doctor, that he was a physician. And so there's a lot of speculation that he's kind of like mad that his profession has been maligned. Doctors don't make people worse, right? What are you talking about? That could never happen. And so he cuts it out because it makes him uncomfortable, right? It makes him nervous. No one could cure her. It wasn't our fault, right? We didn't make her worse. And then next, it says, um, there's this, who touched me, right? Um, uh, Jesus notices. Right before that, in Mark, we hear some of her internal monologue. We hear what the woman is thinking, why she's making this choice. She had heard about Jesus. She'd heard that there was an amazing healer, saver, redeemer out there. And so she came up behind him and touched his cloak, for she said to herself, Right? She said in her mind, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. If this guy is as powerful as everybody says he is, all I need to do is touch his garment. Luke cuts that part out. He doesn't do the internal monologue of this woman. It's not something that we hear from him. He just goes straight to, she touched the fringe of his clothes and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. I don't think it's because Luke doesn't care about her perspective. Um, most of the time, Luke is actually really interested in women. Um, he tells a lot of women's stories. 
Uh, he probably took a lot of money from women to, to start initial evangelism and, and gospel work. But I do think Luke is just more focused in his version of the story on the mystery of it, right? Um, what has happened here? He doesn't want to tell you until the end. He also, I think, is telling it from Jesus's perspective. He wants us to really focus on what's happening to Jesus in this story, what's happening for Jesus in this story, where I think Mark is telling the woman's story. What did it feel like to her to approach this person who she thought was full of power and put her life, not even in his hands, but in his clothes? What did it feel like to her? Why would she do that? Why would she go there? Luke is asking a different set of questions. And so then Jesus, right, he's all attentive. He gets it. He always knows what's going on. Who touched me? I felt power go out from me. This is where Luke is more detailed than Mark. So let's go. Uh, in Luke, it says, Jesus asked who touched me, and all denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. Luke names a specific disciple. He thinks that, so Peter, right, is kind of always questioning Jesus. No, Jesus, you're not going to uh, die. That could never happen. That would make me sad, right? <laughs> like, no, Jesus, I would never deny you. That does not sound like me. So, so Luke wants to kind of stick with this character of Peter who always questions Jesus, right? Um, good news for us who ask a lot of questions. Jesus seems fine with it <laughs> at every step along the way. Um, for Mark... Mark is really invested throughout the gospel. Uh, a lot of people like it for this reason in making the disciples as a group look incredibly dumb. <laughs> he just like, he doesn't like the disciples. He wants to dismiss them. They're constantly messing up. They're not seeing what's in front of them. They're not understanding what Jesus is saying to them. And so in the Mark, instead, um, his disciples are kind of obnoxious, right? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? They're like, they're mocking Jesus to his face, which seems to me like not the thing to do if you're a disciple of the Savior. But again, again, he doesn't care, right? Jesus is not offended. He just knows that something happened because he knows better than his disciples do. And so he continues to look around to see who does it. And it's then when the woman comes, and this is the other big difference um, in Luke, it says that the woman knows she can't be hidden anymore. So it sounds like she's been kind of forced out of hiding, right? She didn't want to say anything about it. Um, she was scared, which makes sense. In, in her culture, for a woman to be public, to say things out loud in a public place, to have a perspective, to have a problem, to make a claim, was dangerous. It was something that people might malign or kill you for. Um, and so, so in uh, Mark, wait, sorry, can we go back to the second? Yeah, so in Luke, it's she could not remain hidden, right? She, um, and so she's kind of forced out into the open, and then she tells them what she was thinking about and how she's been saved. But in Mark, it's something different, and this is my favorite part. This is where, at the end of the day, I slightly prefer the Mark for my own place in life, um, is that he says because she knew what had happened to her. Not because she's scared, not because she's forced out, not because she's pressured, but because she had felt the healing and it was so powerful and it was so strong, she couldn't keep it in. 
knowing what had happened to her, she fell down before him and told the whole truth. She's so captivated by her own experience. It has been such a powerful one, such an extraordinary one, that she has to tell the crowd, this is what Jesus just did. This is what Jesus just did for my body. This is what Jesus just did for my soul. This is what Jesus just did for my place in my community. This is who Jesus is. So there are differences, right? We see differences based on Luke and Mark's personality. Differences probably based on who they knew, right? They're writing down stories that people who knew Jesus had shared with one another and then shared with one another and then shared with communities. Um, if any of you have groups of friends or workplaces that can get a little gossipy, you know that depending on whose uh, ears and mouths things go through, they might have like a little bit of a different tinge when they get to you, even if they're both the same story. The Luke and the Mark change a little bit depending on who they knew, depending on what they cared about. The core of the story, there's, there's a truth there, right? There's a thing that we can find. Um, but who tells your story matters. And who tells your story matters not because there's only one that's right. We actually don't have to pick which one is better, even though that's our instinct, right? My instinct is to pick a favorite, a one that I'd rather read. But there's a reason that God gave us three versions because God gave us way more than three ways to live our life. And so sometimes you're gonna be in a place where Jesus will touch you, where Jesus's power will change you through the kinds of concerns and perspectives that Mark shares. And sometimes there's gonna be places where Jesus's power, where Jesus's love touches and holds you through the kinds of concerns that Luke shares. Sometimes mysterious, powerful Jesus that we see in Luke is the kind of Jesus you're seeing or needing. Sometimes scared person gathering up the courage to approach Jesus who they have heard about is the person that you are. And so you need Mark's version to bolster you up and to give you that bravery. It doesn't make anything a problem for there to be more than one version. But it does mean that we want to be attentive to how we tell stories of what Jesus has done for us and what God has done for us. Because the story I would love to hear that goes untold in the scriptures but was surely told in real life is what happened when the woman went around telling this story for the rest of her life. What happened? to the people she told. <laughs> How did it change them? Did it introduce them to God? How did it shift them? How did they know love? How did they know healing in ways they never would have had she not told the story from her perspective, as well as them reading it from Mark and from Luke? This idea that there are multiple ways to tell a story is part of why this whole month we're gonna be looking at musicals for each one of our sermons and singing some songs from musicals and talking a little bit about what we learn from them. And if you're not like a Broadway head, that is okay. This series is still for you, and I wanna tell you why. There are a couple reasons why we're doing this. I'm not either. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Katie's like, it's not my jam. I'm still doing it. So here's, here's a reason why. One is that we could pick literally anything, and it would be of benefit to us to figure out what it says about God. Because here's the big thing that I see people forgetting all the time in the world, is that if God created everything, God created everything. 
<laughs> right? Yeah, God created everything. There is not a thing, there is not a person in whom there is not a facet of God or something that you can learn about who God is and what God is doing in your life. Amen. We could do a series on the NBA free agency that just happened. Woo. We could do a, yes, we would, have, we would have fans, right? We could do a series on beautiful tattoos. We could do a series on astronomers and people who look into the sky to see new things about the world. There is no aspect of human activity or human culture. We could do superhero movies, right? There is no part of the human experience that we couldn't look at and find something amazing to learn about who God is. And if you learn no other spiritual practice in your whole wide life, I hope you do this one, which is to look at everything in your life and figure out where God is living inside of it. Right? To look at everything in your life and figure out where God is inside of it. So even if musicals aren't your thing, what we're practicing together is finding the God in stuff. Finding the God in stuff. And that is a skill you can use everywhere you go. Amen. And then there is a reason that we picked specific musicals. Well, one is our community is our community. <laughs> and there is a love for the musical form in this community. <laughs> Also, we can have a church trip to go see Lion King, right? Like, there's some positives and some benefits to this. Um, but but there's, there's other reasons. And one is that I think um, you can feel this in the medley that Felicia put together for today, which serves as kind of an overture for the series. We heard music from all of the musicals that we're going to be talking about. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll be kind of mixing Christian music and musical music a little bit more, um, which is that it's big. It's big feelings and it's big questions about good and evil and how to live a life, right? Big questions, which are the kinds of questions we bring to our faith, right? What is good? What is not good? What is harm? What is pain? What is love? What is joy? And it gives us an opportunity to ask big questions together. And the other is that musicals are a great way to think about this question of story, of story. How do we tell a story? Who gets to tell the story? And what changes when somebody new tells a story that we thought we knew intimately? The musical of the day today, you're going to be hearing a little more of it during communion, um, is Hamilton. And for those of you, <laughs> Dee Dee's pro. Um, and for those of you who don't know the musical Hamilton, um, it was written, it's our most recent musical. It was written uh, a few years ago by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, Puerto Rican composer and author and writer extraordinaire uh, because he was reading a big biography of Alexander Hamilton, one of the people who founded the current iteration of the United States of America, um, for good and for ill, obviously. And as he was reading that story, right, a story about a person who he thought was going to be distant from his experience, right, someone who started a government that has colonized and oppressed Puerto Rican people, among many others, um, that, that he all of a sudden started to see himself <laughs> in the story of Hamilton. He started to see, in particular, his dad, right? That this was a guy who was born on an island in the Caribbean through writing, through the, the love of writing, made a life for himself, and then went and did something extraordinary. And he started to see himself in a place where he never thought he was. And so he wrote this uh, musical that is hip-hop and song and dance. I know a couple hip-hop heads have said to me, right, like, the rapping in Hamilton isn't even that great. I understand 
we don't expect West Side Story to be Ariana Grande, right? The musical form is a different form. It's not necessarily excellent of the genre. It's excellent of the storytelling version of the genre. So we're going to get a little benefit. Um, and he wrote this story and then put a bunch of black and brown people in it <laughs> and said, how do you like me now? Right? What do you see about this story that you didn't see before when I tell it? What do you see about the story of people who you thought were only far from you, were only for one kind of person, were only for one kind of experience, when I put my people in it, when I put my immigrant self in it, when I put a passionate love of um, and appreciation of people who go from one place to another and make their whole life out of nothing in it? And he's one of the first people to recognize, I think, um, that that's not the only way to tell this story. <laughs> and that's not the only way to reclaim stories that have gone untold. There should be stories about the Haitian Revolution. There should be stories about Caribbean people that don't have to be placed in the stories and lies we were told in elementary school. And this kind of reclaiming of story matters. Even just in the life of Hamilton, we could tell a million other ones. And I want to read a beautiful quote to you that Lin-Manuel Miranda gave when he um, did a graduation speech in Philadelphia in 2016. He said, the simple truth is this. Every story you choose to tell, by necessity, omits others from the larger narrative. One could write five totally different musicals from Hamilton's eventful singular American life without ever overlapping incidents. For every detail I chose to dramatize, there are 10 I left out. I include King George at the expense of Ben Franklin. I dramatize Angelica Schuyler's intelligence and heart at the expense of Benedict Arnold's betrayal. James Madison and Hamilton were friends and political allies, but their personal and political fallout occurs, fallout occurs right on our act break during intermission. My goal is to give you as much as an evening as musical entertainment can provide and have you on your way at home slightly before Les Mis lets out next door. This act of choosing the stories we tell versus the stories we leave out will reverberate across the rest of your life. Whose stories do we tell and how are we telling them? And what does it mean about what we're saying about who God has been to us and who God has been to others? We're going to go through quickly. We're going to be going into all of these musicals a little bit more as time goes on. But I'm going to show you a couple shots from Hamilton. If you haven't heard it, we'll be posting the music from it and other musicals on the Facebook page this week. Yay! Yeah, so this is Lin-Manuel right here on the right. So here's a, a, a part of Hamilton. Next slide. I just couldn't leave out the ladies of Hamilton, right? This is one of the things that the play does. It elevates women in a story where women have not been, much like Mark. Okay, but the other musicals we're going to be going through all do this uh, thing of questioning who tells a story and what does it mean. So let's go to the next slide. This is Nala from The Lion King, which we're going to be talking about on the 21st. And um, one of the reasons that I love the musical, the Broadway musical, The Lion King, is that one of my questions as a kid was always, what did Nala do the whole time that Simba was gone, right? Nala is stuck with this jerk face of an authoritarian leader. She's my favorite. I love her. What happened to Nala? And the Broadway musical answers that question a little bit. It has more of her life, right? It answers the question, what was it like to be one of the people who got left behind <laughs> under this um, harsh new system? Next slide. 
Uh, oh, this is, I just wanted to, uh, yes, yay Halle Bailey, yes. Um, they're about to make a new version of The Little Mermaid, another favorite of mine, and they just cast a couple of days ago Halle Bailey of the musical group Chloe and Halle, um, which is really beautiful, as Ariel. And a bunch of people uh, were in their feelings about it, right? Uh, and so with a lot of like, but she's, but she's not pale, but she doesn't have red hair, right? But she doesn't, but she doesn't, but she doesn't. And I will say to you as a formerly red-headed Irish American, bull crap, right? I mean, just not, just not okay, not acceptable. There are a million ways to tell a story and Hallie's gonna show us one of them. There's no way of telling a story that prohibits all the other ways. It only opens up more doors. Tell a story one extra way, you get 12 new extra ways, right? No story makes the other stories not exist. It only opens the window for all of God's stories to be told. All right, next slide. So we're gonna be going over Rent. Here's the thing about Rent, if you know the story. Rent follows a number of characters who are wonderful, most predominantly Mark, great story, right? Interesting. Uh, the thing I've always wondered about Rent, which we'll talk about is, Angel and Collins have the best love story in the show, yes, right? This couple, yes, they have the most interesting, most compelling, most extraordinary love story. They have the best song. And you know, spoiler alert, but like one of them disappears <laughs> halfway through the second act. What would a rent look like that's about Angel and Collins mostly and their friends as the B and C characters? We don't even know. All right, next slide. And finally, we're gonna spend the final Sunday in the sermon talking about The Wizard of Oz, Wicked, and The Wiz. And we've sung some of that music today because the thing about The Wizard of Oz is that it asks a lot of those big questions. Um, what is home? What is good? <laughs> what is um, courage? What is it to know? And, and it, The Wizard of Oz kind of took a place in our culture. And then the Wiz in the 1970s um, said, basically, like, where are we, <laughs> right? And so uh, they wrote a version of The Wizard of Oz that maintains all of the same plot points, but is black music and black people saying, what would this mean to us? And all of a sudden, whole new parts of the story emerge. The end of the story feels like liberation. We're gonna sing the song Rejoice, hopefully, in a couple weeks, instead of like a personal victory of melting a witch, right? It feels like a community victory. We learned something new about a story we thought we knew, and we still get to enjoy Judy Garland if we want to, right? Nobody took her away. And then, the, and then Wicked comes, which is another reimagining of the story that this time says, um, are the bad guys ever really who we think they are? <laughs> is there ever such a thing as totally bad and totally good? And it looks at the story of the Wicked Witch, wicked in both The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz, and says, maybe she wasn't so wicked after all, which would be a good question for all of us to ask about ourselves. And so I wanna encourage you this month, even if you've never seen a musical before, if this is not your genre, to get in, because the question you should be asking yourself is not, am I all about Broadway? <laughs> The question you should be asking yourself is, whose stories am I telling? Who tells my story? And have I been telling the story of who God made me to be, of what Jesus has done for me as the whole truth of my life with as much passion and conviction as that woman who was healed so long ago? Because if I don't tell the story from my perspective, it will be told from someone else's. 
And it turns out God says every single one of your stories matters as much as the one that got into the Bible. Your story matters as much as Mark's. Your story matters as much as Luke's. You are a living scripture. And so it will be a benefit to the world as well as to our shared faith together if you go out and tell your story with the passion of a theater nerd, with the passion of a healed woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, with the passion that God created in us, that Jesus has saved for us, and that the Holy Spirit is continually drawing out of us, even as each day of our life, our story changes and grows longer and stranger and more beautiful. Tell your story. It's a gift God gave you. And boy, do we want to hear it. Amen. Amen.